Today's reading is from Ephesians one, verse three to fourteen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before Him in love. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ. According to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, in Him we have the redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and insight. He has made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, that He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to gather up all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of Him. Who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge. Of our inheritance, toward redemption as Christ, as God's own people, to the praise of His glory. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Incarnation is kind of a well, actually, Richard Rohr would say a threefold event. There is the original incarnation in the actual existence of our world, of God in the world, God creating, God being a part of all we see and know. There is the incarnation that we celebrated just a couple of weeks ago as we gathered in a circle, trying not to set anyone's hair on fire. Uh, with our candles singing Silent Night, the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. But there's also another incarnation that has to happen before Christmas is done with us, and that is the incarnation. There we go. The incarnation of God within us. That just as Mary bore God just as God was in Christ. God can be within us. So, as I was saying, Christmas lasts for 12 days. It lasts longer than our cookies, for the most part. <laughs> And we're still po populating our crash over here.、Uh, we started with just a single candle, and、uh, now we have the wise men that have been added today. 
And this is the time in which we remember the wise men that came to see Jesus after he was born. But until we get to this mystery that is within us, we're still trying to absorb the mystery of Christmas. So let's pray. God, as we consider your words this morning, as we consider this text, may we hear and understand in a new way how you are embodied within our lives. May we hear in a new way how deeply you love us. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if the theological words of incarnation and all of that theological speak don't speak to you, I offer this uh, proverb by Hafiz, the Persian writer. He says, God and I have become like two giant fat people living in a tiny boat. <laughs> we keep bumping into each other and laughing. <laughs> That's also what incarnation means. We keep bumping into God and laughing going deeper into the presence of God within our own lives, deeper into understanding and embodying and being in that love. The title of the sermon that I um, gave for this morning, I gave it weeks ago, and it was called Love Bomb. And then when I got to preparing for the sermon late this week, it felt a little too close to home jolted by the word bomb this week and feeling the despair, the anger, the profound sadness at the rumors of war and my own powerlessness against it. And as I was writing to a friend this week, I said, preaching every week forces me to find some hope in the midst of my own despair. But my intention for this first Sunday of the year was to just simply say over and over to you as we begin this year how deeply you are loved. How deeply we are loved by God. And I want us to recommit to this together again, to hear these words together again in light of our mission statement that we are a base camp building a more loving world. When I start to lose faith and when I start to feel in despair, I have a few books that I always go to. Do you guys have those? You have a few that are just like at the top of your shelf. And as I was saying earlier, Father Greg Boyle's book, always both Tattoos on the Heart and um, his more recent one, which I'm going to quote from, and I can't remember the title of it. Barking to the Choir, that's it. <clears throat> <laughs> You have to read the book. It's, it's a great book. Um, I, love this, I love his writing because he comes from the hardest stories, the deepest, hardest, darkest places in the world, places of addiction, places of violence, places of lost hope, and speaks from those a word of hope and of faith. And so this is what I read this week. When I first began to preach at Dolores Mission, I would write out the homilies in my halting and lame Spanish, 
and then have some native speaker go over it for me. The message was always a variation on a central theme. God is too busy loving you to have any time left over to be disappointed. I sought to comfort the afflicted and fill them with the utter fullness of God, but people would leave the church after Mass, shake my hand, and then shake their heads, pleading with, uh, pleading with me. Regáñanos, Padre. Scold us. Chew us out. I soon realized that this is what people had come to expect from their priests, a full-blown accounting of how disappointing they were always failing to measure up to God's high expectations. When we are disappointed with each other, we least resemble God. We have a God who wonders what all the measuring is about. A God who is perplexed by our raising the bar and then raising it even higher. We would do well to ask ourselves, how does God handle dismay and disappointment? Surely God must be disappointed that hunger exists in the world when we have the means to feed everyone. God has to be saddened by the number of guns in the United States and people's willingness to use them on each other. God undoubtedly is dismayed that the Catholic Church, he's speaking as a Catholic priest, continues to exclude women from ordained ministry and limit gays and the divorced and remarried Catholics from the fullest of welcome. One can only imagine God's response to the church's global child abuse scandal. But in all this, and in many other things, disappointment is not the foot God puts forward. Disappointment is not the foot God puts forward. There is instead only a redoubling of God's loving us into kinship with each other. If we truly allow that tenderness to reach us, then peace, justice, and equality will be its byproduct. Disappointment is not the foot God puts forward. I think this is really the message of the text that Cindy read from Ephesians, which I am just calling one big love bomb. It's the beginning of the book of Ephesians. It's a doxology of sorts. It's a, a praising of God, just announcing the goodness of God to the people. A God who is not just out there, but a God who is in us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. Or as Eugene Peterson says in the message, in his paraphrase of this text, long before God laid down earth's foundations, God had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of love to be made whole and holy by God's love. God wanted us to enter into the celebration of this lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. It reminds me of that Marvin Gaye song, Holy, Holy, W-H-O-L-Y, Holy. He said, we can conquer hate forever. We can rock the world's foundations. 
Everybody together will holler love across the nation. We proclaim love our salvation. Holy, holy. The book of Ephesians is written, uh, said from a prison. It's written to people who were suffering under the effects of empire. It was written to people who were on the margins. It was written to people who were struggling and suffering. And before the writer gets into what he has to say, there is this love bomb. Disappointment is not the foot God puts forward. God steps forward with love. The deepest reality is what we see in Jesus Christ, the writer says. Forgiveness, grace, everything bound up in love. This cosmic reality that we sometimes have our hard time getting our minds around. And your job, our job, is to know that we are loved and to be in that love, to allow the incarnation to be in us. On Christmas Day, um, someone from the congregation sent me one of my favorite uh, quotes by a guy named Simeon, the new theologian. And by new, I mean 949 to 1022. (laughs) What I love about these early Christian quotes is they help us get out of our head because they were written before, um, before the modern era, before we started relying on things like proofs and science and the written word there was this deeper, um, this deep reliance on the experience of God. And so I put it in your bulletin this morning, and I invite you to take that in and read um, silently as I read it to you. Simeon, the new theologian, says, We awaken in Christ's body, and Christ awakens our bodies. And my poor hand is Christ." He enters my foot and is infinitely me. I move my hand and wonderfully my hand becomes Christ, becomes all of him. For God is indivisibly whole, seamless in his godhood. I move my foot and at once God appears like a flash of lightning. Do my words seem blasphemous? Then open your heart to God and let yourself receive the one who is opening to you so deeply. For if we genuinely love him, we wake up in Christ's body, where all our body, all over, every most hidden part of it and real, is realized in joy as him. And he makes us utterly real. And everything that is hurt, everything that seems to us dark, harsh, shameful, maimed, ugly, irreparably damaged, is in Christ transformed and recognized as whole, as lovely, and radiant in his light. We awaken as the beloved in every last part of our body. I invite you to take this home this week and and maybe use it every morning or every evening as your time of prayer. And consider to yourself, what does this mean? What does it mean to awaken as the beloved in every last part of your body, 
of your life. We don't always know what this is going to look like, and yet it is this prayer that begins to make it real within us. And when it happens, when we begin to experience this love within us, we truly do join God, as the writer of Ephesians says. God set it out all before us in Christ. Eugene Peterson paraphrases, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in Christ, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. This reminds me of one of my favorite stories from the rabbinic tradition, which is that, that God was carrying ten very fragile vessels full of God's light, and they broke and the shards went everywhere into the world. And the job of uh, our job, the, the rabbi said, is for us to go around and collect this light and call it out and bring it back together. That's kind of the idea in this text, that God's light is everywhere. God's presence, Christ's presence is everywhere. And God is always gathering those things together, and that is our job as well. Why did the wise men go on a journey? We don't really know their religion or their theological orientation. Likely, they came from Persia, from Iran. But we know that they recognized in the star something worth following. They looked for the light in places originally that one would look for light. You would go to the palace, you would go to the rulers, you would go to the places that were shiny and fresh. And yet they discovered the light wasn't there. And the star took them to a place that was dark, a place that was messy, a place with a young child. And they found love embodied there. As I look at this year ahead, I feel a little nervous and a little tentative. Not sure that there's going to be a lot of light, not sure where I'll find it, not sure if I'll be able to embody God, but all of that is based on the fact that I tend to look for love and I tend to look for light and I tend to look for God in the places that are perfect. <laughs> and I have a hard time finding those most days. And that's the thing about incarnation. God's love shows up right in those messy spaces. God shows up right in the midst of our world. So how do we keep bumping into God? Well, I imagine you do have some of those books you go to, or maybe a song on your playlist that you play, maybe a place in your house or a favorite walk. Those are all places to bump into God. We also bump into God when when we do what Father Greg is doing by going to those who are, are, are on the margins, whether that's economically or physically or emotionally, and by being with them. But let's make God's love our starting place. Let's make God's love the foot we put forward every day. Let's risk looking deeper for love.
In the next few moments, Malcolm's going to sing a song based on some other ancient words written by St. Augustine. And let me read them to you. Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient, so rare. You were within me, but I was outside of you. And it was there that I searched for you. Late have I loved you, you were here with me, but I was not with you. And it was there that you found me. You called and you shouted, you broke through my deafness. You flashed and you shone, dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. May you smell that fragrance this day and this year. <laughs> 